Philippians chapter 2. Our primary focus would be on verse 1 and into verse 2. As I read God's word this morning, I'm going to read on down through several verses beyond that. Beginning in Philippians chapter 2, it says in verse 1, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason also God highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brother, I read the entire section there to you because that entire section is really dealing with one main theme, one main subject. And that subject is unity in the church or unity in the body of Christ. And what we will discover as we walk through these verses together is not just how to achieve unity in the body of Christ, but how to maintain unity in the body of Christ. But even beyond that, I want to encourage you that as we look at this passage together, and as we look at the different principles it's going to teach, that this, the, the principles of unity that it will speak about doesn't just apply to unity in the body of Christ, but it really applies to having and achieving and maintaining unity in any relationships that we have with fellow believers. Thus, these will apply also uh, in our marriages as believers of a husband and wife or, or both believers that can look at these things and some of the things that it's going to be teaching here and how it is that you can stay unified before the Lord. Now, as we look at this, if you think back to what he said there in the first verse of therefore, that what Paul is tying this to is he's tying this back to the comment that he made in verse 27 where he said that whether I come to you or not, what I want to hear about you as a church is that you are living a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. That is, you are living your life in such a way that you are displaying the glory of the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ that is working itself out in your heart and in your life, not just personally and individually, but also corporately there as the church at Philippi. And we saw that. And if you stop and you think about it, beloved, we understand this concept. Because as a nation, when we think about ourselves as a nation... As the United States of America, we are strongest when we are unified together. Not only in 
unifying ourselves in the foreign affairs that may come our way, but when we're unified in even the domestic affairs that come our way as a nation. And the same is true in a church. And what we saw at the end of chapter 1, in verses 27 down to verse 30, is really how the church is to be united together in their advancing of the gospel. So this is about our foreign affairs. That is, as we are going out and advancing the gospel, what Paul taught us there at the end of chapter 1 is that we have to stand firm together for the cause of the gospel. We're to strive together for the cause of the gospel. We're to stay together for the cause of the gospel. And we're going to suffer together for the cause of the gospel. As we're advancing the gospel, this is how we stay united in those ways. But now he's going to turn his attention here in the opening verses of chapter 2 to now how they're to be united when it comes to internal matters and the internal relationships with one another. And if you recall, beloved, if you go back and you think about when the church was founded, the church of Jesus Christ was founded back in Acts chapter 2. And when we look back at that and we see that, whenever we see these thousands that come to know Christ, we see there is a united church that is gathered together as one. We're told in verse 42 of Acts 2 that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continue with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Then over in Acts chapter 4, just a little bit later, it says in verse 32, the congregation of those who believed were of one heart, one soul. Not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, but all things were of common property to them. And they were meeting needs in the, in the body of Christ. If anyone was a, a needy person among them, that they would use the resources that they had to meet those needs in the body of Christ. So we see when the church was founded, when it started, it was united with one heart, one mind, one soul, one gathering together in their common purpose and what they were doing. And as the gospel began to spread and it went from Jerusalem out to Samaria, we saw that unity remained in the body of Christ because they sent out apostles to go out there to, to make sure what was going on and everything stayed united. Then when it expanded further into the Gentiles, we see the church stayed united. But if you read through the book of Acts, you also see that there were some threats to the unity of the church. And one of the first threats that popped its head up was there in Acts chapter 5, chapter 5, when you had Ananias and Sapphira and the sin of their selfishness and their giving that was taking place there. 
Then not only that, in Acts chapter 6, you see another threat to the unity in the church. There began to have strife in the church as the church had grown and there were needs that were needing to be met. We saw that some felt like they were being neglected and now they began to have this problem and disunity and strife that was taking place in the church. So how is it then that we are to achieve and to maintain unity? Well, beloved, as we're going to look here in Philippians 2, not just this Sunday, but in the the next Sunday as well, I want you to see that there were four principles here that Paul is teaching that are essential for there to be unity. And let me give you those four, and we'll just talk about two of them this morning. The first one is, to have unity, we must be living by the same motivations. For us to be united, again, not just in the church, but again, you can take this to other relationships with fellow believers, again, with your marriage or with other relationships out into the world that you have, that you must be living by the same motivations. Secondly, you must be living by the same mindset. You must have the same mindset as you're living life together. Thirdly, it is living or looking for the same marks of unity. Living and looking for the same marks of unity. And then finally, it is also looking or living by the same model. And we're going to clearly see that when we look in Philippians 2, when he says there in verse 5, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Thus, we're going to get to look at the perfect model of humility, the perfect model that helps to keep us united. And if we're all looking at Christ and looking at him as the model, that will draw us all together. Let's look now, let's go back to verse 1. And it is here where we'll find the first principle that he teaches in regards to to unity amongst believers, and that is living by the same motivations. If you notice again what he says in verse 1, in probably in your translation as it is in mine, it uses the word if there. But actually, the way that Paul wrote that sentence He wrote it in a way that it is not actually in question about the things he's discussing here. It really could be better translated with the word since or because. Thus he's saying, therefore, because there is encouragement in Christ, because there is consolation of love in Christ, because there is the fellowship of the Spirit, because there is affection and compassion... That is, he's wanting them to live by the same motivations. And one of the motivations, beloved, that we should all be living by is an appreciation for the salvation that God has provided us. This is what he's speaking of here in verse 1. What is provided for us by the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Notice what he says, what the Savior has provided for every person here who knows Jesus as their Savior and Lord. All of us get to enjoy 
the same blessings of salvation in that Jesus there is an encouragement to us and Jesus is there to be the consolation of love for us. That is, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, strengthens every one of us. And the Lord Jesus Christ also supports every one of us when he talks about that consolation of love. So we all get to enjoy being encouraged by Christ, comforted by Christ, lifted up by Christ. We all get to enjoy also the, 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 the blessings of the Spirit of God when he says there that fellowship of the Spirit that as we all enjoy together as God's people, if you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, we all share, that is that idea of fellowship, we all partner, we all share in the Spirit of God in that the Spirit of God dwells in all of us. The Spirit of God has regenerated all of us. The Spirit of God has adopted all of us. The Spirit of God has sealed all of us. We all enjoy these blessings of the Spirit of God and what it is He has done in our life. So we enjoy the sharing of the Spirit. But notice also at the end of verse 1, He says, "...any affection and compassion." The Spirit also does something for all of us as well, something we all have in common, and that is the sympathy of the Spirit. His compassion, His love, He is sympathetic towards us as we walk through life. This is something we're all enjoying together. And Paul is saying, look, Therefore, remember, he's tying this back into living a life worthy of that transforming gospel of Christ that has come into your life and has saved you and has changed you and given you a new heart, given you a new life, a new disposition, a new direction in life. And thus, therefore, because of that, you're being lifted up by Christ. You're being strengthened by Christ, supported by Christ. You're sharing in the Spirit of God. You're sharing in the sympathy of the Spirit of God. We are getting to enjoy all these things together. And he's saying, remember those things because you all have those things in common. Be united. Just think about how united you really are, he's saying. So, beloved, that means it's important for us to consistently and continually to appreciate what the Savior has done for us, to appreciate what the Spirit of God has and is continuing to do for us in our life and in our, the salvation he has provided. We need to meditate on the gospel We need to reflect on the gospel. You need to ponder and to think about your salvation. You see, what that will do is that will remind us that we're all in the same boat. We were all sinners. We were all just as we read a moment ago in Psalm 14. God looks down on mankind and what does he see in the sons of men? Is there anyone seeking after him? No. There's no one seeking after God just on their own. And God, and so we know what we deserve. We know where we would be. And we know what we enjoy because of God's grace, because of the Savior willing to come and to give His life on the cross, because of the work of the Spirit of God of convicting us of our sin and showing us our need of the Savior. We know of the blessings of the salvation that God has provided us. And this is what joins us together. 
You see, that's what makes the church different than any other gatherings. The word for church, ecclesia, really just means a gathering of people. But it's the, the church in Jesus Christ, that is, those that are gathered in the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, there's people that are gathering other places today. In fact, there's probably no doubt, even at this very moment, there are basketball games going on in the NBA or in college uh, campuses right now. There are thousands of people are gathered together in one place. That is a ecclesia in the sense of a gathering of people. But that's not the church. Because they're not gathered there in the name of Christ, enjoying the common love and bond of what the Savior has done for them and the Spirit of God has done for them. But we have to go back and think about this often. Help to keep us even humble in mind. Humility of mind. Being reminded of what we so justly deserve but what God has so graciously provided. And so Paul here is appealing to them. And he's appealing to them to be united together as the church there at Philippi. By living by the same motivation that motivation of appreciating their salvation. Appreciating their salvation. An appreciation for the salvation they have enjoyed together through the Savior and the Spirit. But there's a second motivation he gives. Look at verse 2. He says, Make my joy complete. Now, that's an interesting thing that Paul says there. He is wanting to motivate them to be united together out of their affection for him. Affections for their shepherd. He says, make my joy complete. Paul appeals to them to be united Because he wants them to know if they are united together as a church, this brings him joy. His joy which tells them that he has an affection for them. He has a love and concern for them. So much so that his joy is tied to them. When they are divided, when there's disunity, when there's things going on, he is their shepherd, is grieving over that. And he's saying, I don't have the joy in my heart that would be there. He's saying, make my joy complete by being together. If you recall what Paul even said back in chapter 1, where he says in verse 8, God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is a man who had a love and an affection that came from Christ. His love for Christ and Christ's love in his heart for the church. And he was tied to them. His heart was tied to them as their, as their shepherd in that way. And Paul is saying, look, I want you to have the same affection for me that I have for you. Don't avoid it. Well, that is a bold thing for Paul to ask, but again, Paul knew of their love for him. He's already expressed this to them. He's told them in verse 7 of chapter 1, I have you in my heart because you've stood with me. You've been partakers with me. Your participation in the gospel, 
the way you've loved me, the way you've served me. If you remember, when we're going to get on over into chapter 3, we're going to find out that they sent a man by the name of Epaphroditus from their church to go and minister to him. And that was his sole purpose. His purpose was, Epaphroditus, we as a church have selected you. We've sent you. Go to Paul. He may be in prison there, but you go to him and you serve him as best as you can. We're sending a financial gift to him to help meet his needs and you're there to help meet his physical needs, emotional needs, whatever needs he may have. You're there to serve him. And Epaphroditus had such a love for Paul that it says he was there serving him to such an extent that he came to the point of almost dying. And that's why Paul says, look, if he would have died, it would have been sorrow upon sorrow for me. Paul knew of their love for him. And so he appeals to them. You see, beloved, what Paul is saying is, make my joy complete. That is, have an attitude that says, I want to be a blessing. I don't want to be a burden to the people of God. I don't want to be a burden to the leadership. I don't want to be a burden to anyone. I just want to see how is it I can be a blessing to the people of God. How can I be a blessing to the shepherds? How can I be a blessing to those that I go and worship with and I serve with and that I can't be happy unless they're happy? I can't have joy unless they have joy. He's going to tie this in when you think about it in a moment or when we get to it next week where he speaks about there in verse 3 and 4 how that will manifest itself is to do nothing from selfishness, from empty conceit, but regarding others as more important. Not just looking out for your own interest, but looking out for the interest of others. That's how you would fulfill, and the church at Philippi would fulfill this with Paul by making his joy complete. Well, let me just remind you of this. Look over in the book of Hebrews for just a moment. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews 13 and verse 17... The writer says, obey your leaders. And he's talking to the people of God in the church. And he's saying, obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. That is, he's saying, look, recognize the, 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 the seriousness of their responsibility. That they have to give an account for how they have shepherded you. They have to give an account before God. For how they have watched over and cared for your souls. And because you know that and you know they have to give an account. He's saying obey and submit. He says let them do this that is caring for your souls with with joy. Let them do it with joy not with grief. For this would be even unprofitable for you. You see, he's saying, look, you want to live your life in such a way that those that are in in leadership can care for your souls with joy. As they have to give an account before God. Look for a moment. Go back to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 for just a moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. A very interesting statement that Paul writes here. 
I'll begin in verse 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. He says, and, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And notice what he says, Live in peace with one another. There again, that call to, to live in peace with one another, peace in the body of Christ, peace between the, the leadership and the laity. There is just to be this, this peace that is gathering together of the people of God. As he goes on to say down in verse 15, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Well, this is... One of the motivations that Paul is approaching when he's speaking to the church at Philippi. And he's wanting them to live in a united way. He wants there to be unity in the body of Christ. And as he's doing that, he wants them to remember and to live by the appreciation for their salvation, but also for their affections for the saints and for the shepherd. That this is what brings them together in this way. I want us to look at one other thing this morning. And it's the second principle that Paul gives us. And it's the next little phrase there in verse 2, which actually is one of the main ideas in this passage, in these verses. And it is living by the same mindset. Living by the same mindset. Notice he says there, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. That is to think the same way. For us, for anyone to have unity, they must see things or think of things in the same way that it's the same way spiritually. He's not saying we have to be of the same mind that everybody comes here and thinks the same way about uh, whether what kind of clothes you should wear or things of that nature. He's thinking about spiritually that we're all of the same mind. That is, we're all living by the same mindset. In fact, if you go back up to chapter 1 and verse 27... Remember, he says, we are standing firm in one spirit and with one mind. There is one mind. We strive together. We have to have the same mindset even in advancing the gospel, but we have to have the same mindset in how we live together in the body of Christ. And that doesn't mean there won't be differences in the body of Christ and differences in congregations. But he's saying there we have the same attitude, the same approach, the same acceptance of the Word of God. Let me show you how he, else he speaks about this. Go over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 for a moment. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians 13, in verse 11, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and we're going to look at the church at Corinth in just a minute, because this is a church that is struggling with unity. And 2 Corinthians 13, in verse 11, he says, Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, 
Be comforted. Be like-minded. That is, be of the same mind. And what follows after that? Live in peace. See, Paul understands that you're going to have to be maturing and you're going to have to be like-minded and have the same mindset to live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, he says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete. Notice he says it again, same phrase, in the same mind and in the same judgment. He is exhorting them to be in agreement. He is exhorting them to have no divisions among them because they needed to be complete in their mindset of having the same mind and having the same judgment, the same attitude and approach. And that was a problem they were having in the church at Corinth. You say, well, how can we have this? How can we be of the same mind? How can, how can a, a group of people be united in their mindset? Well, first, by praying for it. You say praying for it, yes, praying for it, because this comes from God. Look with me for just a moment over in the book of James, to James chapter 3. In James chapter 3, Remember this little contrast that is given? James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. It says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom, notice, that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Notice he says, this wisdom is from above. This is wisdom that comes from God. If we want to have the, main, the same mindset, when something we know is going to come from God, we are to pray for it. And in fact, if you again look with me very carefully over in the book of Romans and go to Romans chapter 15 and look at verse 5 where Paul actually teaches here the specific prayer of praying for having the same mind. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 5, he says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you, notice God grants this to you, to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. Notice where it's tying it into. He's tying this mindset into Christ Jesus. This is where this mindset's going to come from. But notice he's praying there. He says, now may, this is a prayer of Paul, may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind. 
And your same mind with one another. And notice why he wants this to happen in verse 6. So that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This all goes back to the glory of God. Paul wants the church to be united and to have the same mindset with one another in Christ Jesus, according to Christ Jesus, so that they will speak and live in such a way with one voice and in one accord because this glorifies the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is to be our ultimate motivation in all things. The glory of Christ. So we notice Paul is teaching, pray for it. It's this wisdom that is from above. Pray that God would grant this same mind with one another. But you have to go beyond that. It's not enough for us just to pray for it. We have to actually pursue it. We have to actually pursue it. If you're in the book of Romans, stay there and go over to Romans chapter 8 for a moment. And by pursuing, I'm saying we have to intentionally set our mind on the things of God. In Romans 8, we're told in verses 5 and 6, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. We have to pursue having a same mindset, a same attitude, a same approach by setting our minds on the things of the spirit, by setting our minds on the things of Christ, by setting our mind on the things above If you will now, look over in the book of Colossians for just a moment. Go over to Colossians chapter 3. One book past Philippians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Again, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ... Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, he, this is, a, this is a, an exhortation from Paul saying, set your mind. We, yes, we pray that God would give us the same mindset, the same attitude. But we're to pursue it by setting our mind on the things above, by setting our mind on the heavenly things, by setting our mind on the things of the Spirit. Well, you say, well, how do I do that? Well, if you stay there in Colossians chapter 3, and if you go down to, you can just pick it up in verse 12. It says, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, if we're putting on, if everyone is putting on compassion, and if everyone's putting on kindness, and if everyone's putting on humility, and if everyone's putting on gentleness, and if everyone's putting on patience, and if everyone's bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, 
So also should you, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. You see, if we're all putting these things on, setting our mind on the things above, there will be that perfect bond of unity. But notice now, keep reading, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You see, this will come back to the peace of Christ ruling in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And there's the key. It's when the word of Christ, it's richly dwelling within you. When the word of Christ is richly dwelling within you, then the peace of Christ is going to be ruling your heart and you're going to be putting on kindness, compassion, gentleness, forgiveness, humility, patience, love. So beloved, for us to pursue having the same mindset means that we have to all be Letting the word of Christ, that is the word of God, richly dwell in us. And for it to richly dwell in us, we have to have the word of God in our life, but we have to be living it. Living what it says. Doing what it says. And here's why I'm bringing that to your attention. Because to have the word of Christ richly dwelling in you, that is for us to have the same mindset, where we're going to have the same mindset in Christ Jesus is by having the mind of Christ Jesus and the learning and setting our heart on the things of the Spirit. And here is where we find the things of the Spirit. Here is where we find the mindset of Christ. We go to the Word of God, and as the Word of God is shaping our thinking, but shaping our living, this is how we come together as one, and we have the same mindset. Let's just think about the church at Corinth for a moment. If you've ever read through 1 Corinthians and even 2 Corinthians, you know this was a church that had a lot of problems. I mean, they had a lot of problems. They were in disarray. They were divided. There was such disunity. I mean, if you go back and you read through that, those epistles, I mean, you will find that they were divided over preachers. One says, I'm of Paul. One says, I'm of Apollos. They were divided at the Lord's table. They were divided in the worship services. They were divided in that they were taking each other to court. I mean, this was a church that was having some major issues of unity in the body of Christ. There was a lack of purity and devotion. You say, why was that? Well, it wasn't because they had not heard the gospel... It wasn't because they hadn't heard good sound teaching. The issue was the word of Christ was not richly dwelling in them because they were not appropriating, they were not applying the scriptures as they were learning them. That is, they weren't being held accountable to actually live what the Bible said. 
It was good enough just to hear it and to agree with it and then to go about their life and live the way they wanted to live. And this was the issue they were struggling with. And thus they were living by the flesh. They were, because remember what the book of Hebrews teaches is that if we don't actually practice the word of God, we remain immature. We remain as infants in Christ or babes in Christ and little children in Christ. And we understand this even in our own lives that if you have a bunch of babies or, or little children that are together, the, the, the disunity and the, and the different things that happens because of that just simply because of immaturity in their life intellectually and emotionally and socially and how to interact. And he's saying that this is what was going on in the church at Corinth. That's why he says over 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, look, I'd like to teach you some other things, but I can't go beyond some things because you haven't applied what you've already heard. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, thus you're just babes in Christ. You see, beloved, it's not enough to have sound preaching in the church. It's not enough to have good, sound, solid Sunday school teaching and discipleship training teaching and and all the other classes that are going on. There must be an expectation that actually what is taught is going to be lived. It's going to be obeyed. It's going to be followed through. Because when that happens, that's when the church begins to grow together in their attitude and their approach and in their mindset. You say, well, how, how do we do this? How, how does a church do this? How does a church proclaim the true gospel, proclaim the whole word of God, and live it out? Well, there's three little simple things. One through a loving devotion to doctrine or to truth, just to the Word of God, through a loving devotion to discipling and discipleship in the church, and to a loving devotion to discipline in the church. These are the three things. When you go through and you look at the church at Corinth, this is what they were missing. This is what they were struggling with. You know they were struggling with a loving devotion to doctrine because when you read over in 2 Corinthians, you find Paul having to address to them saying, look, you have somebody who's coming to the church at Corinth who's teaching another Jesus. And you're sitting there and accepting it as though it's wonderful and it's great and you don't have a problem with it. That they're denying maybe the deity of Jesus or they're denying the humanity of Jesus or they're denying that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And you're just sitting there and you're tolerating that and you're listening to that. And beloved, this is where they begin to have confusion in the church. If you go back to the early church in Acts, what do we see? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. It starts with a loving devotion to doctrine, that is to the word of God. Don't let the word doctrine scare anyone. It's just saying you're just devoted to scripture. You're devoted to what it says. But also a a loving devotion to discipling. This is what we've been talking about on Sunday nights. Of being involved in each other's lives. Of loving each other in that way. Meeting each other's needs. But also holding each other accountable. And yes, loving devotion to discipline. That can only happen when there's a loving devotion to doctrine and a loving devotion to discipling. I don't know if you 
if you're aware of this, but if you think about this, talking about unity in the church, go over to the, in the loving devotion to discipline. Go over to the book of Romans for a moment, to Romans chapter 16. Go to Romans chapter 16. In Romans 16, it says in verse 17, Paul says, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Or go over to the book of Titus for a moment, to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Where here Paul gets even more explicit. In Titus chapter 3, First, he says in verse 9, avoid foolish controversies, foolish genealogies, and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. And in verse 10, he says, reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. And this is what Paul is having to address and even address Uh, in the church at at Corinth. Now the good news is when you look back at the church at at Philippi, that they seem to have had most of these things. They seem to have a loving devotion to the truth and to doctrine. They seem to have had a a loving devotion to to discipling and and the caring about each other. You see that being manifested in, in different ways. Paul is encouraging them to continue to strengthen, to grow in becoming of the same mindset, the same attitude, the same approach. Well, this is, when you stop and you think about it, I know in just doing premarital counseling with, with, with couples as they're looking to get married, it's important that they have the same mindset, that they have the same approach, the same attitude. I mean, obviously that's why they should both be believers because you, you, you can't have one that's going to be under the lordship of Christ and one who's not. They, don't, well, they won't have the same mindset. But we're going to see how this begins to flesh itself out next week when we go back to, to Philippians chapter 2 and we're going to be, begin to see that what, what happens when you have the same mindset, you'll begin to see it flesh itself out that people will have the same ambitions, the same aim, the same goals, the same purposes going in the same direction. That'll be the marks of unity. That'll be the, the, the living by the, the, the same marks, the same approach but as the people and that's why you can see when a a newly married couple they come together and look they're not going to have it all together when they first get married but they begin to grow and where they're going to grow together and they can have the same mindset is that they're both going to this book and they're going to live by this book 
And this book is going to pull them together and their thinking is going to begin to come together and it's going to begin to think the same and they're going to have the same attitude about things, the same approach about things, the same things that they accept and they don't accept. Their mind, their understanding and their attitude about things will be together. And that's the same thing here for us in the body of Christ. So let me just ask you this. Where does this all start? Well, obviously it starts with a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. I mean, you can't, no one can have the right motivations without salvation. And no one can have the right mindset without salvation. It starts with you putting your faith in Christ. You're trusting in Christ. But for us as believers, here's what I want to challenge you with. As you think about what you've heard this morning, for you to appropriate this would be for you to begin to, one, truly ponder your salvation. Truly think about what God has provided you through the Savior and through the Spirit. Two, pray. Pray for you to have a right mindset. And pray that God would grant us a same mindset. But three, pursue it. Pursue it through a love, having a loving devotion to doctrine, discipling, and discipline in your heart and in your life. That you want these things. That God will draw us together in Christ through Him. I want to ask you to bow your head in prayer.